All right, I am live and I'm hoping to get Spencer on here if we figure out how to do this correctly. I'm gonna send him a request, hopefully, if he's following the correct Instagram. Why isn't it showing up? Mm -mm 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 -mm. Don't know. I know that he was trying to help put his baby to bed. Spencer and Anna have a beautiful newborn named Olivia. And when I talked to him a few minutes ago, she was ready for bed and she was pretty fussy. And he was wrangling baby. Woo, look, Spence. All right, Spence, I'm gonna try to add you. I'm going to send you a little invite. Let's see if it's working for you. We figured it out, Ben. We figured it out. Teamwork makes the dream work. Oh, look, Liv, she's joined the live. Hi, baby. Hi, baby. Oh, she needs me to baka by her. Oh. I have lots of baka by experience. There's a few things I'm great at, but one of them is baka buying babies. <laughs> and ask my three daughters and my many nieces and nephews. And all the kids I babysat because I worked in daycares all through high, like babysat all through high school, worked at daycare in high school, went to college, worked at the daycare on ISU campus, worked in daycares clear up until I had my own babies. And then I worked in elementary school and then I worked in middle school. So that wasn't only babies, but lots of, lots of rock and baby experiences. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Look at her. Oh, she, she wants she wants me to she wants me to buck up my hair so bad. <laughs> Too bad I'm clear across the country. A little far <laughs> to drive for the evening. Yep. Mm -hmm. You'd, it'd take you a few days to get here, <laughs> so she could sleep in the car. <laughs> All right. So tonight on our live, we're going to be talking about grief and navigating the whole grief process because everybody no matter what you're grieving everybody's going to go through the process of grief at some point in time and learning to overcome that and navigate that and move on or whatever that's a big part of being able to be happy right and so and this lead up into my podcast these lives they're all about being happy and finding happiness in your life. And so I thought that this was a very pertinent topic. In fact, last week I had a completely different topic in mind that I was going to do. And last minute I'm like, no, I feel very strongly that like I need to talk about grief. Like that's what I need to talk about. That is 
I don't know. So I went with it. I went with it. And then I got sick. And Jessica, who was going to join me last week, got sick too. And I was like, this is going to wait till next week because it's important enough that I can wait a week and we can do it next week. <laughs> so we're doing grief this week. And then this will, this live and all of my lives up until now and all of that will be available with the podcast as like bonus content. And then I'm going to hopefully in the next week release the trailer for the podcast, like the official trailer for the podcast, which will be released through Spotify and all those things. And then the actual podcast, the full polished nice episodes will start dropping January 1st. So that's fun. This is a fun lead up into it. So even if we don't have anyone watch and talk to us tonight, that's okay because I'll take the recording of it and I'll save it as bonus content and release it as bonus content and people will get to listen to it later. So even if they can't listen right now. Perfect. All right. So last week that something terrible happened where I used to live in Pocatello. Something terrible happened and that, you know, it caused a lot of grief for a lot of people, a lot of heartache. And that's, it kind of got me thinking about things. And one of the things is like, I don't even know what to do. I don't know how to respond. I don't know, like, if you feel kind of helpless and powerless, like, I don't know what's right. I don't know what's wrong. And I was kind of, it's easier for me because I'm so far separated from it being you know, clear across the United States. I could walk, kind of watch through social media and things like that, what was happening and like seeing what people were saying to, you know, sometimes stuff gets nasty. <laughs> sometimes it's just not good. And I, so I was watching interactions between people and like strong feelings and that's normal with grief. Everybody has strong feelings and you should, you know, feel those feelings, feel those feelings. Maybe you should regulate how you act upon those feelings, but Feeling that, feeling those feelings, like that's totally healthy, that's totally normal. But in watching it all and like trying to figure out like what my response is and like what I should do, I just ended up coming to the conclusion that love, like love is the only answer for me. Like all I know how to give or all I know how to do is just give love. Like that's the only right thing I could see is like everyone involved, these people that are so hurt and angry, send them love. These people that are just heartbroken, send them love. These, you know, however they're dealing and whatever they're saying and however they're grieving and going through their grief process, all I can do is give them love because giving them anger is not going to make anything better. Uh, giving them hate is definitely not going to make anything better. Uh, all I can do is send them love and those people that are, even the people that are feeling the hate and the anger because they're obviously very, very hurt by what's happening being angry back at them or whatever, that's not going to help. And so love for them too. All I could think of, that's what I came, kept coming back to since was love, love. That's all I can do. And I feel like sometimes that's, that comes to grief. but I did discover in that whole online discussion and vitriol and everything that was happening. I discovered one of my friend's, had posted and it was like one of her ways of trying to like get people thinking about the way they were treating each other and the things they were saying. But she's like, have you ever heard of the ring theory? And I was like, I don't know what the ring theory is. And so I looked it up because it was very interesting. 
And it's a ring. The ring theory is a theory, a psychology theory that in a crisis or in a time of great grief, things like that, um, there's like a set of social rings and there's a way to conduct yourself based on these rings. Hmm. It's like a way to respond kind of thing. And so I started reading about this ring theory and like looking into it. It's really interesting. And I definitely do want to talk about the ring theory a little bit later. It's a good one, Spence. It's a good one. I had never heard of it and I had never like read about it before until someone mentioned it. And it was so applicable. Like it was so much better than her being like, you guys are all wrong and what you're doing is terrible. Like instead she's just like, just look up the ring theory and like read about it. And it was very, very good. I hope they actually did. Uh, but it's, it's all about sending comfort in and then because you have the anger and the bad feelings dumping it out and like the in is like people closest to the crisis or people closest to the grief okay. with like the if it's someone who passed away like in this case that's at the very center and so the next ring out would be like the very closest people to that person and then it kind of stretches from there okay so wherever you are in those circles if you have dumping you need to do, you dump it outward. You dump it, you know, but if you have anything else, comfort only. Only comfort goes in. And kind of like the love thing. Only love goes in. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And that's what, when, if I could just interject my experience is that mm-hmm. if, if you don't allow yourself to feel the feelings and try and bury them or try and numb them or try and run away from them, like they just show up in different ways, right? And so you need yeah. to find a place that to effectively manage those and process them. Right. And so if it's, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I like this idea of dumping them. Um, so, and I can bring up, you know, an idea that's worked for me is now a good time to talk about that. If I need to talk about yeah. dumping, I like that term, but um, for me, it, it has been very helpful to um, a mentor of mine said, Hey, take a, a blank sheet of paper and a pen and just scribble out all the things in, in this, you know, those terms like what you need to dump, whatever I need to get off my chest and what yeah. I need to do a pro- process. <clears throat> anger. And... Yeah. So all the anger, all the hatred, um, mm-hmm. all the rage, all the four letter, five letter, all the words, right? Um, get all the swear words out on that paper. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, take that and have a little ceremony. And so rip it out of the notebook, um, go in the backyard and you know, he and I talked about, you know, allowing the atonement of Jesus Christ to work with it, but light it on fire and say a little prayer. And if Christ isn't part of your world, then that's just fine too. But just like having that, um, it was so just a, a wonderful way to just release, right? And to say, yeah. hey, I, got, I got this emotion into a physical, tangible thing. And now I'm just going to like watching it go up in smoke, right? And the flames take it. And it's like, I can't take that back anymore, right? Um, I'm going to allow it to burn and allow it to, yeah, just refine me. Um, yeah. so that's one way. Yeah. And I think Spence, I think whether or not you're a religious person in any religion, whether or not you believe one way or another, I still think that's a very healthy way to get that dumping out because it's okay to feel those feelings. It's okay to have that anger. It's okay to have the hatred. It's okay to like, it's normal. It's beyond okay. But how you handle it, how you, you know, what you do with it, that can be very detrimental for you. It can be very detrimental for other people. So right. instead of doing that, it, how, 
how healthy is that to just get it all out on paper, in this case, dumping, yeah, for the what's ever's going to be out there, dumping it, dumping all of it out, dump it out. And then I think it's very beautiful that you like had that metaphorical experience of burning it and like watching it. I think that that's really a beautiful, great thing. Yeah. So the first time I did it, it was just like, so just like monumental. And then to be able to say like, I could probably do this every day, right? <laughs> like as things come up, I could. And so I've had to do it several times. Um, and to just, yeah, get it on paper. Um, and because what, and I love like your end goal is like to find happiness and to live a happy life. In my mind, I always thought like, well, I want that, right? So like, why not just make everything happy? Um, and <laughs> the Lego movie, right? Like everything is awesome. And like just yeah. ignoring that like sometimes life sucks. Like, and, and mm -hmm. sometimes like the appropriate emotion to feel is anger, right? And um, and if I don't allow myself to feel it, then I can't feel anything, right? Like I can't feel happiness yeah. because I'm not, I'm, I'm numbing everything, right? Like I, I wanna numb those negative emotions. Or I wanna numb those things that I hate. Um, and not get in, but it gave them more power, right? Like it yeah. numbed me and it gave the emotion more power. And yeah, so 100%. I said, well, your emotions uh, are controlling you instead of you taking control over your emotions kind of thing. Yeah. And so that, as I have learned with each emotion to have a relationship with it, and as sadness mm -hmm. comes, uh, and when grief hits me and like <laughs> feels like it shatters my heart, um, to say, I can either choose to run away from this. I can choose to numb it or I can choose to sit in this. I can choose to say, oh, hey, sadness. Uh, this is what you actually feel like, you know? And instead of having this kind of facade or like pretend like, oh, I know what sadness feels like, right? Um, but then anytime sadness shows up, I'm out of here. Um, so another, like I'm such a Disney geek, like I loved Inside Out because it's so important. Oh, I like, love Inside Out. Hey, sadness, can you I just cried in your corner? I cried so much when I watched that the first time. I was like having a complete fall apart the first time because i'm like this is so good right it hits at the heart of it right to be oh, like, oh pixar it's... disney <laughs> they're good they're magic they're, good they're so they good so good if you really pay attention so good yeah um because right. it, we need to have that space for sadness to a lot to live in our lives so that we can truly appreciate the joy right or the happiness yeah and it's like you said, if you don't let yourself feel the sadness, you're numbing yourself, you're dissociating, you're doing these unhealthy coping mechanisms that are just going to make you worse. And if you turn off all the feelings, you're going to end up, you know, more depressed, more unhealthy mentally. And it's not good. You got to let yourself feel those feelings. You got to give yourself permission to feel all the feelings because all the feelings are okay. All the feelings are normal. Yeah. And but what you do with them and how you react to them and how you regulate them that, you know, and sometimes that takes a lot of strength. Most of the time that takes a lot of strength. Right. Oh, it's been the most difficult thing for me to like sit with myself and sit in my emotions. Um, and, you know, again, like if I have this goal and I have, I've wanted this goal of like, I want to connect with other people. Um, and I'll do that by just ignoring my own needs and emotions and I'll just be there for them. Um, and it was depleting, right? Um, and so it was just yesterday, I was listening to somebody said like, if you don't take the inhale, right? And take the moment to rest and, and re-feed my own soul, um, or the analogy of put your oxygen mask on first, if, 
in the, in the mm-hmm. airplane. If I'm not taking those moments of rest and self-care, then I'm actually not showing up well for other people, right? Yeah. So I need to be able to connect with myself and show up for Spencer the way that Spencer needs, right? Um, 100%. And then I can authentically connect with other people because I haven't numbed myself, right? I'm there as an authentic, wholehearted person. Um, and I can I have some substance to give somebody else, right? If I've never felt yeah. sadness, then there's no empathy, right? Like I cannot empathize with somebody that feels sadness if I just say, oh, I know what sadness is, but then I run away every time sadness is there at my doorstep. Um, yeah. And then there's a disconnect, right? Because I can't, I can be like, I, I feel sorry for you, right? Like I want to give something to you, but I have nothing to give. Um, and so when I've sat in those moments and said, like, uh, like, I see sadness in you and I know that feeling, right? And we can connect on that emotion. And I, it might be different circumstances that have led to it. And it might be different details of the life um, versus my background and my perspective. But uh, we can connect on those emotions. Um, and to me, that's the whole point of living, right? And I, we're humans and we're emotional. And if we're not connecting with other humans, um, by first connecting with ourselves, then it's just kind of a depressing and the opposite of happiness, right? Yeah, hundred percent. And it's also, I had talked a little bit about this in one of the past lives about this concept I've learned about recently it's called emotional maturity. And mm-hmm. as you like mature emotionally and some people like never get emotionally mature because they've just never been taught or they've never learned the coping mechanisms or they've never, mm-hmm. but I think it's a very emotionally mature concept and like, Uh, ideal to be able to say hey I have to feel all the emotions I have to process all the emotions and then I have to learn how to deal with those emotions and how to regulate them you know in order to be a high functioning human being and stuff like that I think that's a sign of especially if you've had trauma and things like that and grief is a big trauma because grief usually comes after a trauma and if you've had if you've had that then being able to use skills and develop skills and like it makes you a much more strong fortified human being and it's a lot easier to be happy when you are a fortified mentally fortified human being did you learn about the you said your mentor but was that in like counseling or was it just um this specific one just a realtor friend of mine he's a team leader on our um but has, yeah, just been more than just business, but like we talk about so many different things and it's super helpful. So, um, yeah. Well, you can but, learn things from anyone. So, yeah. Yeah. So he's been one of my, um, acted like a counselor slash therapist to me unlicensed. Um, and I've talked to several, um, licensed therapists. Um, and man, that was, I remember like, uh, feeling kind of a shame feelings to be like, I, yeah, to walk into a counselor's office, right? And to be like, hey, I actually think I need help because I'm trying to do it on my own and it's not working. Um, and so to get some education on that, um, yeah, some emotional intelligence, maturity. right? Yeah, yeah, and it maturity, yeah. They took emotional maturity to be able to say, hey, I need help. Well, so that's will, a big thing. I've had a lot of times where I will throw a little fit to my therapist. I fired one because like she asked a question that challenged me. I'm like, I'm not ready to talk about that. Like, get out of my life. <laughs> so I, I'm not. Spence, there's no judgment here. <laughs> there's plenty of times I'm not emotionally mature and I can't, I'm not ready for it. Right. Um, mm-hmm. 
but hopefully and i think i have seen as you bring up that idea that that term like to watch from the first time i you know i was at utah state um just barely yeah, maybe a year into marriage and like um just dylan struggling with things trying to do it on my own like as an island right being solitary yeah. and man up i can do it um and so that was from then like that's a snapshot of where i was in 2013 um to now here we are a few years later um yeah it was probably earlier than that 2010 it's probably the first time i saw a, a therapist um but yeah it kind of started educating me on just some new ideas and i think once your mind stretches by being exposed to a new, new idea like it doesn't really it's tough to go back to how you used to think or believe or see the world before. Yeah, new tools, new new tools in your toolbox. But I've been through a lot of counselors, so I don't judge you when it comes to that. Like, and it's taken me a long time. I've had a I've had a pretty crazy journey in that regard myself, and I'm still learning the emotional maturity. Like sometimes I feel like I'm doing so well, and I'm being so emotionally mature, and like as a parent, I'm like doing so well. And then like the other morning, I woke up, and Core said something to me, and I had like a baby tantrum fit and like screamed at him, and it was like not even like an important, like it was, and I was like, whoa, like that was not emotional maturity. <laughs> and I like, I can recognize it and like, apologize to him and like see the fault in my ways thank heaven but it was not an emotionally mature moment it was like a two-year-old inner Jordy just <laughs> lashing out so i'm very tired i don't know <laughs> oh i laugh because i legit with yesterday with anna like a, the biggest fit and I'm, like that i threw and i'm like as i'm the rest of the day just thinking like what was what was going on there like <laughs> <laughs> and trauma spends trauma children of trauma of any kind of trauma and I, I think everybody has some kind of trauma somewhere in their history but if you've had trauma like you're much more inclined to have those moments when what well, we call them in teaching and i don't remember what this is called but they call it flipping your lid because your brain like you process uh your emotions and your emotional maturity and like you reasoning and all that kind of stuff with the front, the frontal cortex of your brain, the, okay. but the amygdala, the like inner animal carnal part of your brain is, uh, you know, over here or whatever. And so then kids like we would teach them, like, if you need a signal to me that like, you're not really working with the front of your brain that like you're, too hungry or too whatever and you're about to flip your lid like there's like we were taught hand signals they could give or whatever but it was kind of a big concepts for kids whose frontal cortexes aren't even developed all the way anyway but <laughs> but it makes sense to me like the other morning when i flipped out on core i was like i'm like i was not working with the <laughs> i was not working with the front cortex of my brain i was working with the amygdala yeah. And it, maybe because I, I was sleep deprived and I was whatever, whatever, whatever. And sometimes it's trauma induced, uh, still reactions, emotional reactions to trauma. I was, you know, I went through years ago, hmm. S still comes back. Even when you've worked through it, sometimes it, I mean, those scars are there. <laughs> right. And with grief, sometimes you keep having to work through it. Like even when you've overcome it, I feel like sometimes it's still, Oh yeah. And I, I think a counselor once told me that like 
even if you work through this and you feel like you've gotten over it at this age, like it's going to hit you different and you're going to process it differently at a different age because you'll be a different, you'll be a different human at that time. And so, um, for instance, uh, well, when I was in college and I, I've had so many bad bouts of depression, but when I was in college, I was a sophomore, sophomore, junior. I don't remember. Um, a guy, when I was in high school, we were essentially homeless for a while and, um, a leader from my church and her husband took me into their house and I was living with them. And when I was living with them, things were good. Things were great. But you know, things happen, life happened, scroll down the road. I got a call when I was like a sophomore in college that he had committed suicide. Um, this guy that had taken me in when I was in high school and I was handling it not so good because I was not so well English teacher because I was already depressed. I was already struggling. And then I was now trying to process this, like their marriage had been falling apart and then he committed suicide and I needed to process this. And they told me at that point, like, right. Even if you get through this and you're okay. Well, and that connected back to when I was like seven or eight, my mom tried to commit suicide and I was the only one with her in the house. Um, she like locked herself in the, in the bathroom and I knew what she was doing, but I couldn't get her to come out. And I was like screaming and pounding on the door and crying and begging her not to. And I ended up calling one of my neighbors. I didn't know what else to do. And they got a hold of my stepdad and they, the police had to come and they had to like take the door off the hinges and like carry her out on a stretcher. And it was awful. So I had that trauma and then it, it got redug up when this next trauma happened when this guy committed suicide as well and they told me like even if you get through this now this same trauma could come up again like several other points in your life because you as a college student as a college age human have a different maturity have a different life perspective than say a young mother you know if it comes up again and I it did and I got depressed all depressed again about these things as a young mother because now I'm a mother. Now I have my own kids. Now, like I'm totally interpreting things in a completely different way. And then as my kids get older, like da, 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 you know, all of these traumas and things you go through, you probably are going to have to process them multiple times and maybe go through the steps of grief multiple times in your life yeah, yeah. because oh. a different, you're a different person at different ages and at different stages of your life. And you're going to interpret things differently. It's going to hit you different. And you're going to need to process it and have tools and work through it again. Yeah. That's interesting. As you're talking, um, I like the analogy of, yeah, you said flip your lid. But, like, how often do we have, like, a glitch, right? Like, we have our intentions. We have our goals. And we're like, this is who I am, right? And I'm just, this is my plan. But then we get off that plan, right? And whether that's our own behavior or life happens to us or a trauma happens, um, how quickly can we get back to center, right? Or how can we, how, how quick can we get back up if we get knocked down, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so just the way that as you English teachered yourself, right? Like <laughs> from saying, it's so good, but how do we live well? Um, but to, to give yourself that correction, right? And um, have that good relationship. I think that's, for me, it's been that all goes back to like my relationship with myself. That if I correct myself and I, bring shame and say you're you're a bad person for feeling this or going through this 
um, then that's not helpful, right? That's not healthy. And it just adds a layer of, yeah, an emotional layer of shame on top of whatever else is going on. Um, or if I can like show up for myself compassionately and say, hey, this is normal, right? Like if, and so often we just talk to ourselves with a self-talk that's so like, just man, like a bully, right? Like I bully myself so often being like, well, if I can just like beat myself up enough, then I'll just show up and do it right, right? Um, which it never happens um, if I can show up kindly for myself. Um, and so that's the advice that I've been given is like, how would I talk to a friend if they were in my situation? And usually it's pretty kindly, right? Like I want to show yeah. up with, with the kindness and compassion. Um, and so if I can write that out, uh, kind of like a to somebody else's name, and write out like the, how I would guide them with kindness and mm -hmm. compassion. Um, and then that's a good trick for my brain. <laughs> I'd be like, let's Gosh. scratch out their name and put dear Spencer. This is the message that I'd tell myself. Right. Um, and sometimes that's, we need that to get back on yeah. back to center. You catch yourself when you're, being negative or unhealthy or emotionally immature and you redirect yourself hopefully in a compassionate way like you said um, but and that's a tool that I've been taught many times I, I've gone through a that's called act like ACT okay. I can't ever remember what that stands for <laughs> but those classes uh, it, it like, like for this, therapy. Uh, certain therapy right yeah certain yeah therapy. yeah yeah <laughs> that works for me probably but they have things too but Great strategies, great strategies help you. But like the first year or two and like however many rounds of it I did, like nothing clicked. And I think I was just too depressed and I was too numbed to everything to like let it sink in or to let it process or to like let it catch. But when it finally caught, I was like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember during Matilda, I was doing the show Matilda. I went to one of my classes, like these group therapy classes of ACT and it just like, all the stuff was clicking and I was like, Oh my gosh. And I was like, Derek, he's the teacher. I was like, or the doctor. And I was like, Derek, Matilda has a panic attack in Matilda. And like, I talked about how in the song quiet, she's having a panic attack, yeah, but yeah. then she finds her center and like, like in the, in the eye of the storm and like all this kind of stuff. But like, I totally connected it to what we were doing in class. And then like, I finally started understanding core values and like seeing that I did have core values and like it, it was so nice when it finally so like don't give up on counseling and therapy and so like it might not work right at first it might take a while <laughs> it worked eventually and I you keep that. bringing up shame and it's funny that you keep bringing up shame because the episode that I was going to do last week that I'm like no I gotta do grief was shame oh. um and I am going to do the shame game episode in the near future because I had planned on doing it. I'm still gonna do it I'm gonna base it around the book um I thought it just—I thought it was just me, but it wasn't. Um, going from uh, "Am I enough?" or going from—I don't remember how exactly they put it, but it's a uh, Brene Brown, Brene Brown's book. Her. Oh, she's so good, yeah. but she has a she. She did so much research and so much—I uh, don't know—deep thinking about shame and how it manifests and how we like how we handle it in our lives and how it manifests in our lives. And so I'm going to do a whole episode about the shame game and about Brene Brown's book about shame because it's so good. I thought it just, I thought it was just me, but it wasn't. That's the name of the book. And then there's like a, another like sub name. It's a really long name for a book. <laughs> but it's so good. And I did one on self-talk already and on self-care. 
uh, these live sessions, but they're all good and they they kind of bring they lend all lend to each, into right. each other. So I kind of want to talk while I still have you on here about the seven because I didn't know this until I started looking into it. I always thought there's like five stages of grief, but mm. I found out in my preparations that there's now seven. Like now, like the hip thing is that there's seven stages of grief, like not that. just the not just the five. And they added some like good ones at the end. And I think they did this because before they were kind of depressing. And now it's like, there's kind of hope at the end of the there's tunnel. And I think that was a good thing. <laughs> I think that's good. Um, so if you want to, like, we, if I was thinking that we just go through these seven stages and kind of talk about some of the emotions they think that people, or they list that people exhibit during these stages. And then maybe you could talk about like what that looked like for you, because and there's multiple things that have probably you've probably grieved and different processes you've gone through in your life. But if there's any you want to relate it to, you can. Okay. Um, but this first stage is shock and denial. And these, where I got this list from and where I got these examples from are from two websites, betterhelp.com, which is a counseling service, an online counseling service, betterhelp.com. And then recoverfromgrief.com was where I got some of the examples and stuff. And so, I just like to list those websites so people know where my sources are coming from because Cite I'm an English sources. teacher. Cite your sources. Because I'm an English teacher, and that's what we do. Okay. So shock and denial and some examples that I read were like, this is a stage where you feel deep mourning, deep sadness, a confusion. There's usually a lot of confusion right at the beginning. And then discomfort. I hate that word, discomfort, because it makes me think of gas. But I don't think they're <laughs> I don't think they're talking about gas. <laughs> Maybe you're gassy. I don't know. <laughs> you have to get you gassy or else you're not mourning, right? You're not grieving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're not gassy at the beginning, you never went through the stage of grief. <laughs> oh, man. Uh -huh. Oh, so, yeah. Um, shock and denial? Is that? Uh, was... Shock and denial is the first stage. Yep. So I'll share... <clears throat> So November 2nd, 2014, um, my youngest brother suicided. Uh, he hung himself. And I remember very vividly um, the moment that I got the phone call from my dad. Um, we were in church and I actually, I ignored the call at first because we're busy. And then um, just it, well, so maybe there was, uh, this is probably pre shock and denial, but like there was just this very clear sense of like something is wrong. Um, and yeah. so he called back five, 10 minutes later. Um, I excused myself and just went into a room and just knew, um, yeah, something was wrong. Um, but then as he told me and my brother hung himself, um, it was just a shock and um, just a, like a, a breakdown, right? Like a, the shock of it hit me like a, a wave. Um, and I remember just over and over, that was like all I could think is like, why? Why, Hunt? Um, and the denial of, you know, feeling like I had to rush down from Pocatello to Alpine, Utah, three-hour drive and just... I couldn't get there fast enough, um, but um, because there was a part of me that was 
just hoping that like this is not true right like, i'm gonna get there my brother is gonna come give me his teenage big bear hug like he always does um and so for sure that um shock sucks yeah well and you had three hours in the car to just sit there and think about it too like right. like it's not like you can go anywhere else it's three hours of just thinking about it right. and you said hunt because his name is hunter hunter yep all right um so after we go supposedly with the seven stages of grief that i know not everyone's the same but the next step that they line out is pain and guilt. Mm. Um, they put pain and guilt together. They say at this stage you feel pain and you feel guilt. And some examples of emotions they listed were sadness, just like deep sadness, uh, guilt. This is obviously you feel guilt like I could have done more. What what else yeah, could I have done? Yeah. Um, desperation. Um, you know, uh, and then betrayal. During this one, a lot of people, Ooh. they say, feel betrayal. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I can just, there's my stamp of approval. I felt all those. Um, for sure. There's, I remember racking my brain like over and over and over of like, what did I do to fail my brother? Right. Like, I'm, I have to be guilty of something. Right. Like, uh, it's on me. Um, and if I were enough, then he, it, this wouldn't have happened. Um, so definitely felt that, um, and betrayal, man, like <laughs> just so pissed at him, right? Like, wh why'd you leave me? Um, and then you feel guilty for feeling pissed. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. That all reads. And I think that as humans, we're all a little bit egocentric. Like this is not like me saying that's like, you know, oh, you're all narcissists or whatever. No, I think every single human is like human nature, like because we live in our bodies and our consciousness right. that we're all a little bit like stuck on like what's happening in our world. And like, we don't realize like how actually little other people are actually like constant, you know, they're, people are all like, we feel like we're the star of the movie, but really we're an extra and <laughs> everyone's what? a star of their own movie. Right. I'm the right? star of my movie, and we can only process it from our perspective, right? Our perspective, so yeah. The world, and wherever I am, I'm in the center of it. So why isn't that the case for everybody? Like I'm the center of their universe, right? Um, <laughs> so like we kind of do we take it upon ourselves? Like this is all my fault. When in reality, there's so many other things, and like you've probably come so far with your emotional maturity and with counseling and with like just life experience since that point that you can see now, like this was a hundred percent about them. And like, they had so much going on that I didn't even know about that, you know, and probably that Hunter did not even understand, right. you know? Yeah. Speaking from somebody that, who's that yeah. prefrontal cortex. Speaking, not yeah. Well, and yeah, his, his, the frontal lobe of his brain had not even fully been developed. His reasoning was not even fully developed yet. Mm. And that's why suicide rates in that age group, are the highest of any other age group. Like that is a, that's a serious problem. Yeah. That is a dangerous age group because they don't have the tools and the regulation and the reasoning like to be able to handle some of the stuff that they encounter. 
That's hard. The next stage is anger and bargaining. And we talked about betrayal kind of leads it. Like that was the last one that was mentioned on that one. And now we're going into anger, anger and bargaining. And then some of these, some of these examples of this emotions in the stage of grief are anger, obviously resentment. You start feeling some resentment for this bargaining. Um, this is, I think that if you're a faith, like if you're a religious person or a faithful, you're like, why would you do this to me? Like, why God? Like that kind of stuff. I think a stubbornness, just like, I don't know how, how exactly that would manifest, but they list stubbornness. Um, Maybe stubborn in your interactions with other people. I don't know. Maybe stubbornness. Like when people, I've seen people going through deep grief that were trying to like plan funerals and take care of, make arrangements for people who had, passed close to them while dealing with other family members and it got so ugly. And like I have seen where all the members involved were so stubborn, Mm. so stubborn because they feel like I know this person better. I know what they want, Mm -hmm. even though they're gone. I know what they want more than, you know what they, you know, like that kind of thing. Maybe that's the stubbornness they're talking about. That makes sense. Um, Yeah. I think I expressed that the anger portion. Um, Um, yeah, just mad. Talk like, about burning, burning your anger and your curse words and your right. vitriol. Right. Um, and I do like, you know, and as they're listed, all seven of them probably, like they have to, right, and to make a list sequentially. But um, somebody told me it's fine if you need to go back and revisit number yeah. one, even if yeah. you've gotten to number five, right, or you jump ahead, right? Like it's, there's no linear path. It's just these are probably something and maybe you won't experience all of them, but. You know, it would make sense if you experienced one or several of these at any yeah. point. Um, There's so. a trend, like they've seen these in many people, like a correlation, not causation type stuff. Yeah. yeah. Statistics. <laughs> Statistics. But definitely, yeah, I'd mm-hmm. say like they'd hit it as, as a wave, you know, like that's the best way I could describe it is like, man, um, I think this fits in this one. Um, I remember yeah, walking with my dad and brothers and we're going to like buy suits for a funeral and it just hit me like and I wanted a new suit for a long time but like not this way so like screw you Hunter for dying and like I was so mad at him and so mad at the like so mad um because, yeah and like is it resentment like maybe that's resentment of like you should be here with us right like we should all be all the brothers together um buying you a new suit right um and so for sure some anger there yeah and hopefully and maybe you've come a lot farther since then but hopefully you let yourself feel those things like hopefully yeah. you were okay and you waited in that for a while because yeah. gotta feel all the things right exactly. even though it's not comfortable maybe that's the discomfort because Feeling all the things is not comfortable. Oh, for sure. <laughs> right. We want to run way back into our comfort zone and like give me in a, just a nice cozy blanket and let me watch Netflix. Right. Like I don't want to deal with emotions. And eat. And eat. I, right? may, I don't know about you. Actually, I know you love to eat, Spencer. I, I know food. you do. But, but, but that's partially because you work out a lot and you have this like great metabolism to like burn calories. So you need to keep feeding them. I don't have that problem. Mine is the, ooh, 
food tastes good and it makes me feel happy. And so I, on the other hand, am an emotional eater. I am, I'm going to eat your serotonin. And so you might be like wrapped in a blanket. You might be wrapped in a blanket watching Netflix. I would be wrapped in a blanket watching Netflix, feeding my face with jalapeno Cheetos and all the chocolate I could get my hands on. (laughs) And maybe it's okay to let us have that moment too. (laughs) Salted caramel ice cream is is mine. Love that. Or like a straight salted caramel. That sounds pretty delicious. Not not gonna lie, it sounds pretty good. All right, so after we go through the anger and the bargaining, another stage that they suggest that we can go through, this is kind of when you're getting, I kind of, it kind of seems like this, like you're going in this dip, and then before you start to go up again. Okay. And so this is, I think, when you bottom out in the dip. This is like the low. Okay. And this is where you hit depression, reflection, and loneliness. Mm. And so examples of emotions during this stage of grief would be depression. Um, they say this is an emotion, but I don't, it's more of a feel. It says heavy. And I know you can relate. Like, you know what that feels heavy. It feels like you have a giant yeah. rock, like a boulder chest. on your chest. Yep. Um, crushed, crushed, just crushed, mm. and then frustrated. Yeah. Oh, man. So this one actually brings up when my grandpa died, um, probably just the summer before Hunter did. Um, Yeah, it was crushed. I just remember, yeah, we're trying to sing like a musical number for his funeral. And like, I just wept through the whole thing. I couldn't even sing a single note. So I just like stood up there and bawled. So rude when they ask you to sing at a funeral. How can anyone sing at a funeral? Oh, man. Especially your own grandpa's funeral. Right. You can't be expected to. Not fair. Yeah, crushed. Like, that totally rings true. Totally rings true. And depression. Oh, the depression. And when the depression keeps lasting, sometimes it does. Oh. Just dark and heavy. Oh, I knew exactly. When it says heavy, I can, like, feel it. I know exactly Mm. what the heavy of grief feels like yeah yeah i in high school i had a friend who two days after he graduated got killed in the car accident Mm. i can remember like just sobbing and like heavy Mm. heavy like that because like all i can think about was like his potential like all the things that he had coming because he just graduated high school like this beautiful life he was gonna live that was not gonna happen now, and it was just crushing. It was heavy. Yeah. It was it was intense. Yeah. Well, and I like that you bring that up, and um, just somebody, and like it, just one of those things that like it only clicked like recently this year, a few months ago, when they say like we use the word feelings for our emotions because like we feel them, right? Like our body, like as humans, we're emotional creatures, and like if we pay attention enough, like I can feel the emotion right in my chest, right? Like, <laughs> Is that Tommy? Tommy? Are you a nut? You're so handsome. Are you a knight? You're so brave. Awesome. Just for Halloween. I, I don't like this part. 
I wonder if it fits in. No. Nope. Oh. That's fun, dude. Okay, let me keep talking to her and I'll come out and play in a little bit. Oh, hold on, do it. Is it stuck to you? Okay, I love you lot. That's a cool costume. Hey, Tommy! I miss you! He's like, whatever, dude. See ya. <laughs> Tommy's always had that ad towards for me. He's like, he's like, I tolerate you. You're okay. Tolerate. You tolerate me. <laughs> oh, man. Dude. It's a mind of its own. Um, so, yeah, the emotions, right? Like, they're... Um, anyways, we have to feel them, right? <clears throat> so if we pay attention to our body, where we feel it, it actually is like a physical manifestation. Um, manifestation, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Emotional. And then emotion, right? Energy in motion, the E for energy. Um, and so there's an energy to it, right? And so if we I think that's to me what's helped me to kind of get my almost some power back from, you know, getting hit with almost gets felt like getting hit with a brick in my chest. And there's this heaviness mm -hmm. and a depression that I'm carrying around with me. And if it's if I take the kind of stance of this happened to me and so this is just going to happen to me forever versus like hey I can take some power back by being like proactive and, and doing some healthy habits and um, doing some processing and emotional work and talking to a counselor um, yeah then I can get that emotion to move maybe through me instead of getting stuck in me right? yeah. yeah and like back to those act classes I took, they have you do all kinds of things with the emotions you feel and like the visualization, like you said, like how it manifests, like we would have to be like, where do you feel it? Like, mm. what does it feel like? Or what does it look like? What color is it? Like, send it, like I'm telling you at some points I was like, this is stupid. This is weird. I do not get this. But as I got better and better and started like really trying and then like just processing things different and getting healthier and healthier. It started clicking and things started getting better. And I was using the tools and one of like one of the most, uh, one of the ones I use like every day, every day I still use this tool and it's so basic. It's so simple, but I use it all the time is whenever we're having the thoughts or the emotions, we, I think of a river in my head and the, big heavy emotion or the thoughts or the anger or whatever it's floating by me in the river and I can you know choose to take go swim and like drown myself trying to drag this emotion or this whatever or this hate or this whatever it is negativity out of the river or like this bad horrible thought when my mind's bullying me I can stick to that and drown myself trying to get it out of the river or I can see it I can acknowledge it and be like oh that's a thought and yeah. let it pass by or yeah. Oh, that's a heavy feeling. Let it pass by. Yeah. And I think there's power in that to acknowledge it, right? Instead of like ignoring yeah. it and being like, oh, no, that's not a thing, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> then we're in that, I don't know if it's the stages of grief, maybe part of it, but like that denial, right? Or I'm going to deny myself to feel that emotion. Um, maybe we have to, yeah, to let go, right? Like there's power in letting go. Take a yeah. Deep breath, and then on the exhale. And acknowledging go. it recognizing that it's there but then letting it right. pass by yeah. yeah not getting stuck holding on to it not drowning ourselves swimming out there trying to get it out of the river right. right or that makes me think of like when i was learning how to like water ski and like i was so determined to like stand up it's like it's just like dragging me farther and farther down the more i'm hanging on right 
Um, that one time I ever tried kneeboard and I wouldn't let go. I was under the water, but I wouldn't let go. So it was like this giant wave, like <laughs> pulling me along the water. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes the right thing to do is just let go. Let go. <laughs> let go. You're creating a tidal wave and everyone in the boat is laughing at you. Let go. Let go. Not that that really matters. But. Oh, funny. Oh, so we're in the deep, deep hole okay. of the stages of grief. We are in the depression, reflection, loneliness hole. After that, they have what they call the upward turn. So, ooh. Let's do but, it. And the examples they said, the upward turn is not always super pleasant because when you're climbing out of a hole, it's not always like ooh. the most pleasant experience. It's work, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it's rewarding. It's like when you do something really hard, but it's rewarding. And so the upward turn, you start feeling strengthened. You start feeling motivated to like actually do things again. And you start feeling awakened, like maybe like mm. you've learned something. Love that. I love that. I think I've seen, yeah, definitely like the work that, and maybe that is like, is it, you feel strengthened and so you can do the work that mm -hmm. you need to, to, to climb. Um, but yeah, like the sense of hope that comes in uh, versus like the depression and hopelessness. Um, definitely felt that. Yes. And I like that they added these like positive ones on the end right. because I think light at the end of the tunnel kind of thing. And then the yeah, one after five, the... and then all of a sudden, like you're just going to go further, further down, and like you hit the depression. It's like you're grieving. It's like wait, yep. and then and then it would go like straight from like the depression grieving to like acceptance. Like what? No. Like no, you, there's something else that happens between those. Yeah, and that's what it's climbing out of the hole. <laughs> it's. It's like what they're talking about, the upward turn. And then the next one they say is reconstruction, which makes so much sense. Reconstruction, because your life's never going to be the same. You're never going to be the same person that you were before this happened. Yeah. Like, well, you can't go back to what was, but you can reconstruct what your life is and grow from it. So reconstruction and working through is the next step. And some of the examples of emotions they give are you feel inspired, you feel determined and you feel refreshed. Like, was there any point after Hunter's death or after your grandpa's death or some other grief experience that you had that you can remember feeling like a sigh of relief or feeling like I'm ready to start new. I'm ready to move on. Yeah, I think it was like you find a, for me, it's like finding a purpose of like, um, yeah, I can, and it was just, yeah, kind of an aha like I could sit in depression because it is sad right um, and is that a way that I want to live the rest of my life um, or can I say let's find some meaning and purpose um, that you know I will kind of cling to or attribute I'm gonna as a tribute to having lost this human and the life that they lived like I'm gonna do a better job by trying to see the pain in others or trying to live up to the ideals of what my grandpa tried to teach me you know um, and so, yeah, it doesn't go away. Like the sadness is still there. And yeah, um, the sadness like will always be there, right? Cause it's never going to stop being sad, but maybe the like hopelessness or like the heavy, heavy rock, maybe that part of it, like, yeah, yeah, for sure. Maybe, maybe it doesn't yeah. hurt to wake up every morning anymore. <laughs> yeah. And learning to kind of feel that if it feels like a cavity, in my heart is gone it's i can let that sit and be hollow forever or 
like I can find, yeah, yeah, just a strength or purpose, um, life mission or certain goals that say like I'm gonna, um, yeah, push forward. I think that's great reconstruction and work through is so good. And then the last stage, the seventh stage, after you do all of that with the upper turn and then all the work and stuff, then it says acceptance finally comes after all that stuff. And what they describe acceptance as is emotions like feeling hopeful, feeling comforted, um, allowing yourself to feel comforted, probably feeling relaxed finally after and feeling secure, like maybe not worrying all the time. If someone, you know, I don't know. Do you ever get to that point? Because I think I spent most of my life after my mom's thing, like, or maybe just every time, like, someone starts showing signs of depression now, like, I, a part of me panics. Like, maybe it's just my anxiety. A part of me panics, like, oh, my gosh. Like, or, like, a, I'm scared to correct anyone or I'm scared to be mean. Mm. I'm scared to say anything mean because I don't want to cause, you know. And then, again, that's putting too much importance on myself. Like, I'm the one who caused anything. No. Yeah, I feel that for sure as well. Um, Do you remember feeling hopeful after any of your grief? Like the acceptance stage, hopeful or comforted or relaxed? Yeah. Simmer so down and secure? I think whether this is kind of, yeah, the reconstruct maybe, but I think there's some acceptance of it. <clears throat> I would, I'm going to point to my, my parents. So just, in the same barn that my brother hung himself. Um, they've done a complete remodel of it and and made this a beautiful place where they, they gather together and play music and it's a gathering place now. And so where at once, you know, that was kind of, that was the tragedy, right? Like it was in the rafters of a barn that he hung himself and that where they found him. Um, and so to transform that into reconstruction uh, but to accept that hey he's um he's no longer with us um and we're going to build a new beautiful you know tribute to him um or have a place where we can gather together play video games um create music create good memories um so that's just something that keeps coming up that i just uh, my angel mom and angel dad that have done a great job kind of leading us yeah. through that tragedy that's very hopeful because that's like the hope of so many more good memories that will be made here instead of just always the sadness, you know, like, right. and that's like a, a physical manifestation, manifestation, like you said, of the reconstruction. It's not just like a concept. That's like a, yeah. or it's not a metaphorical reconstruction or a spiritual reconstruction. That's like a physical, physical. Yeah. reconstruction. So like, that's, I think that's awesome. And yeah, just the project of as brothers and cousins that were peers to Hunter, um, going in there and like physically getting in there and getting sweaty and, you know, making it happen to, to be part yeah. of that transformation. Um, oh, and I'm sure yeah. that's, I know that was so good. Like there is something to be said. And I know that there's like science behind this too, but I can't quote it. So I won't like try to, but there is something to be said for using your hands and like, You're right building and creating and your mental health when i was in the behavioral health unit like bringing back all the suicide talk i myself 
was in the hospital in the behavioral health unit for this. And one thing that they had us do every single day, like it was required. They wouldn't let you just lay in your room. Not that you'd want to because those beds are horrible. They're not even like real beds. They're like plastic boxes with like a nasty little, like cause you, there's nothing that you can hurt yourself on. So like these screwed to the ground, plastic boxes. Oh, it's terrible. And they check on you every 10 minutes. Like how are you going to sleep when you're checked on every 10 minutes? But whatever. And something they required every single day was we had to go into like the arts and crafts room for like a part of our day and do arts and crafts for an hour. And I remember thinking this is the stupidest thing ever like and I was so bitter and depressed anyways like I don't want to sit here and do crafts but I noticed like when I was in there what I ended up working on my whole week that I was there and like was I did this craft where you like built this wooden puzzle thing of the Statue of Liberty it took forever but like as I was working on my Statue of Liberty and gluing all my pieces together and building my Statue of Liberty like it helped me be present and so I talked about this in like one of the former lives I did depression is living in the past, like dwelling in the past. Mm. Anxiety is worrying about the future. Like if you can be in the present, if you can find something that puts you in the present in this moment that anchors you down, like that helps you be happy because then you're not worrying about the past. You're not stressing about the future. You're in the moment you're present. And that's what arts and crafts does. Like, they're working with your hands, doing arts and crafts, doing things like that. It, it helps you be mindful. It makes you present. And they know that so much. Like, they're science minded. There's, you know, these medical professionals in the hospital required all of us in the behavior health unit to spend time every single day doing arts and crafts. Oh, I love that. Well, and we've talked about it, you know, actually on stage, right? Like, doing a... a musical for me is so much it's been therapeutic and I think it's it has to be that because it's just this present moment um, where I'm sharing it with fellow actors I have to respond to them as they deliver their lines as if it's the first time right Um, but and then also to connect with the audience right like I love Mm -hmm. that about theater and I've thought about like why is it compared to like like a Marvel movie like a movie right cinematic Um, it's very rare that like I get moved right like I don't but like almost every time I'm watching a musical like I'm just in tears like and I think it is that present moment of like they're delivering it now the only time that this song this way is going to be sung because tomorrow night it's going to be a different audience and it's going to be a different performance um 100% and so like we're just sharing this moment right now right here and so that presence to me is a, a beautiful part of it and it's helped me so much like being on stage has helped me heal so much um and I didn't I'd probably now that I'm thinking back on it, like I remember getting fired from a job and like the like I came home and like pulled out my watercolors and started painting. And my wife's like, "What are you doing? Like you need to go find a job." I'm like, "Yeah, I just feel like this is what I need to do right now. I don't know why, but like <laughs> I just need to be here with my daughter, painting, um, and taking." There's been times where like then I've proactively kind of carved out time from my busy schedule to to paint and to create. So that's yeah. cool to actually hear from you that like and I see it there's the therapy that comes from it I think we are I think we're creators um that's just part of who we need to nurture it probably goes goes back to that carnal amygdala like part of us 
or the hunter and gatherer or whatever like that when we did everything with our hands like and we were in the present moment then we didn't have all that other crap to worry about because we had to you know keep ourselves fed and like keep the animals from killing us and keep a fire it's like that instinct is in there and then yeah it's it's powerful like there's a reason why it's so important Sutton Foster who's a brilliant brilliant Broadway star wrote a whole book about called Hooked and it's about how her crafting like her crochet, she likes to crochet. And now she does it to like raise money for charity and stuff like that. But like her crochet and like her crafting saved her life because she, mm. even as this brilliant, talented, you know, Tony award winning Broadway actress, she struggled with depression. She struggled with suicidal ideation, all that kind of stuff. And then she was be able to get present and like bring her life back through crafts, through crocheting. And there's, yeah, lots of stuff. Like it's powerful. It's, I know. Yeah, my brother-in-law. He was not feeling his happiest. He needed to find happy, and he took a big leap and went from a regular job, like his, you know, his regular paycheck. He and decided I'm going to be a contractor and I'm going to do what I want to do and I'm going to work with my hands because it makes me happy. It brings me so much joy. I'm going to be jump off this you know, little bird, like, what if you fall? What if I fly? That kind of thing. I love that. Yep. And I'll do an episode about that eventually. And I'm going to do a theater episode, like theater saved my life episode. Like totally. Those are all on, like I have the whole next year pretty much planned out with ideas for podcast episodes, but you're just hitting all of them. So it's just more reason for you to listen. Oh, one last thing. One last thing before we get off, because I have to touch on this. Because people don't know. I need a list of suggestions that people could do if they want to show love or comfort to someone who's in grief. Like, things that are good to do, you know, if there's stuff stuff you should avoid, that's okay to say too. But I want a list of things you should do. Some of the examples I found online that people suggested was like, bring a meal or coffee or a treat. I don't know if this happens everywhere. But at least in Idaho and, like, Utah, like, in that area, if somebody dies, like, all of a sudden you have a kitchen full of food. Like, everybody shows their love with food, right? Like, that's just, like, what to do. And that I found myself, like, every time I hear someone's going through something hard, I'm like, can I send you dinner? Like, even if you don't want me to bring you dinner, can I send it to you? Like, or I don't want to make anything because I'll feel anxious about whether or not you like it. So can I just send you dinner? <laughs> So like, and I think that's a fine, like I'm never going to fight with food. Right. And there's no way I want to cook after I'm, right. you know, I'm navigating grief. There's no way I want to cook. Yeah. Cause you go just in survival mode. Right. Um, I think there is some shutting down of functions just so we can survive the, the pain of the emotion. Um, yeah. To me, it's, yeah. Each person is so in, individual and unique. Um, to be able to, <clears throat> I think so often we say like, like I want to be here. So we ask the question, like, what do you need? And I think that's like, at least for me, like, I don't want to answer that question. Right. Like if I'm in grief, it's like, I don't even know. You're not even thinking about, I don't know what I need. Yeah. Right. And so I don't know what people, I need. when people have just shown up and whether they're just there with me um, and give me a chance, like an invitation, like, do you want to talk about it or Maybe you don't want to talk about it. Can we just be here together? Yeah, can I um, sit with you? 
Yeah. Can I go on a walk with you? Like, do you want to go on a walk? Yeah. Can I just sit with you? Or another suggestion they said online is you can go over and just wash their dishes or do their laundry. And I'm like, I would die. I would be so embarrassed. Like, I don't know if I would like that or not. Uh, right. Maybe if they were very close to me. Like, when we're talking about the social rings, like, if they were really close in on the rings, maybe I'd be okay with that. But, yeah. well, again, it is, anxiety. That's such a vulnerable place to, like, be seen in your struggle, right? Like, if somebody shows up and, like, already, like, I'm feeling probably shame feelings of going through this grief, and how do I already combat those and just feel whatever, just the emotion of sadness versus sliding into this shame. Um, and then somebody shows up and like, okay, my dishes aren't done. And like my living room's a mess. Like, And you saw my there? dirty underwear. Right. Yeah. So to be able to allow yourself to be seen is a very, that's a very vulnerable thing. Um, and yeah. yeah, so if it's the right person and they can show up with kindness and gentleness and say, hey, I've seen dishes piled up higher than this and don't worry about it, you know. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think it would have to be the right, um, the right person doing it and the right, and the right, right. Like my mother-in-law, if my mother-in-law showed up, like, I think I'd be okay. I mean, even then I might be like a little bit, it's just me and my anxiety, sure. but I know hers is 100% out of love without judgment. Yeah. Like I know she is only there. Like I told you at the very beginning, she's only there to give love. And this is how she knows how to give it service. Mm -hmm. Like that is the only, like that's how she's manifesting her love. And like, so I think I'd probably be okay. But there's very few other people I could think of. Like maybe my sister-in-law's too with my mother-in-law, okay. <laughs> but I don't know. It's limited, very yeah. limited. Um, there, someone online suggested that you can offer to watch or spend time with their kids or if they have older parents, living with their older parents or like pets just to give them some quiet time, like to give them some time to recalibrate. Yeah. Which I think's probably great. Yeah. Or offer to, yeah, I think maybe I talked about, yeah, just offer to listen or one person that I really appreciated. And so this was what I needed is she came and asked like, how are you doing? And I gave like some BS answer like, no, but like, how are you doing? Like, actually let's talk about it. I do care and show that sincerity and yeah, then I could really tell, like, okay, this is a safe person. She she cares. She's here to, like, hear. Um, and so in, the invitation to talk, right, but also just to show that. And be a good listener. <laughs> good listener, for sure. Um, let's see. Is there any other ones they offered? Oh, if going in person, they said if going in person seems like too much, maybe you're not on the appropriate ring of the social ring theory. Yeah. Um, if going in person seems like too much, you could send a note or a letter or a DM even on social media. Yeah. And in the situation I told you that last week, I didn't go into details, but I did when I, cause I just felt like I got to do something, but I don't know what to do. And I'm clear across the country and I don't know what to say. And I ended up just sending a DM saying, I have no words except I love you. Mm, love that. Like I'm sending my love. Like that's yeah. all. And I was 100% sincere, and I didn't know what else to do or what else to say. Yeah. No, those are many. I remember I still have them. I, like, there's cherished, cherished, like, little treasures of people that sent me a direct message or wrote me a handwritten note um, or others that I think that and maybe it was emotional maturity level on my part to, like, be able to, able to see, like, this is the gift that this person is giving. 
Like they're not coming to talk. They come and they, you know, the week of, so Hunter died on a Sunday and his funeral was the next Saturday. Um, and we had family members that would just show up and they weren't there to talk. They weren't there to help. They weren't there to fix anything. It was just, I'm here and I'm here, right? Like I'm, I'm with you in this. And so to be able to, to recognize and receive that gift that they're giving and other people wanted to do something. Right. And so as much as it's like, I don't, it, it makes me uncomfortable to receive your generosity. It was okay. This is something you could do. Does that fit? You know, I see that your intention is to provide a meal or to provide something or provide a service. Like, could this work? And um, anyways, yeah, to match, match up their offering to a need or yeah, something that was acceptable, right? Like that it wasn't too intrusive. Um, anyways, that's something. And they're I just trying to, yeah, they're trying to give you love and comfort in the way that they know best with their love language and things like yeah. that. Because everybody's different. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes, like you said, it's hard. And sometimes you have to like put your own self, you know, like hold it back, hold it back because sometimes it's good to let them right. express their love to you in the way that they know how. I dropped some of the stuff. <laughs> I'm self-sufficient, right? Like I can do it. I can take care of myself. I don't need you to bring me a meal. Um, is my knee jerk, right? Like, don't either have pity on me, but if I can yeah. just get myself out of the way, right? And say, oh, this is just their, they're expressing their love. I'll receive it. Yeah, that's good. I think it's, it's big and sometimes it's hard, but I think it's really good. And, and remembering that ring theory, like wherever you are in the social rings, Comfort in, uh, dumping out, like, dump out, comfort in. I'm interested to learn more about that ring theory. Can maybe send me what you've, what you're learning? Yeah, it's good. It's good. (laughs) So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Spence, my brother from another mother for, for joining me to talk about navigating grief because it's an important topic. Thanks for having me. It's not a comfortable topic, but it's an important topic. Right. It's growth, right? If we sit in comfort and we don't grow, and if we don't grow, well, I would say that I'm going to frame it positively. I believe happiness comes from growth. And if we set set our sights and have a vision and say, that's a goal that I'm going to work towards. And even like incremental, like the smallest little progress towards a goal to me, that's happiness. Yeah. I think that's a really good way to visualize growing your happy or getting closer to your happy. And I do this at the end of every single one of my lives, and I will do it at the end of every single one of my podcasts. But I tell everyone to put their hand on their heart where they can feel it and say, I am safe. I am loved. I am, I am enough. I am loved. I am enough. And feel what that does inside your body. Uh, I love you. Have a great night. Love you. Thank you. You're awesome. Have a great night. Bye.